magic is what happens when you find balance between method and madness, science and art. Welcome to the Magic Maker Podcast, the place where entrepreneurs who want to find magic can access aha moments and simple steps to big dreams. I'm your host, Jay Nicole Smith, but you can call me Nick. Let's get started, shall we? Hey, Magic Maker. This is a very special episode of the Magic Maker podcast for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that this is the first ever interview we've ever had on this podcast. All the other episodes have been just me chatting with you about topics of interest. But today is an interview. And when I bring an interview into this podcast, I am not going small. <laughs> I am so thrilled and honored and humbled and like just can't believe that I get to tell you that our interview today is one of my absolute business crushes, an absolute idol in my life um, of someone who I have tremendous respect for, and that is Miss Ash Amberger of the Middle Finger Project. Now, I don't know if you know Ash, um, but if you don't, she is a incredible copywriter. I call her a badass bitch because she is out there helping women disrupt, helping them be disobedient and create change and absolute magic in their lives um, by doing the brave thing. And she is total sass pants, <laughs> sweary, which is the way I like my girls, <laughs> and um, also incredibly insightful and has a lot of really great stuff to share. And today, we are going to be talking about being brave, especially when it comes to this whole idea of finding and living your why, using your voice, having an opinion, and being able to get out there and to do those things um, that sometimes trigger imposter syndrome and fear in a way that we can feel confident and uh, confident about and have integrity in. So this is an exciting conversation for so many reasons. One, because Ash is just amazing and I'm so honored to have her here. Um, two, because it's the first ever interview here. Three, because the topic is super important and I know will be super relevant to all of us because we've all felt some of the stuff that we're talking about today. And also because we have just recently announced that Ash is going to be our day one keynote speaker at Magic Maker Live, our conference for enchanted rebel entrepreneurs in London in October. More info on that, go to magicmakerlive.com. Thank you so much for being here, Ash. We are so excited. Hi. So, <laughs> yes, I know the hands make it better for some reason. We last week were talking about the madness and method in entrepreneurial spectrum. And I have a suspicion about which side of that spectrum you're on. But knowing what you know about the spectrum, what do you think in terms of where you fall? I mean, I have a company called. The Middle Finger Project. So I think that I got to go Team Madness, like just by default. You got to put me there. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I would say you are firmly on Team Madness. So today, as we kind of talk about this idea of being brave, um, I think the first place to start is, you know, you don't, you're not born knowing that you're mad necessarily, and you're not born knowing how to express that madness, right? Because all of those early years are about repressing anything that isn't completely normal. 
Mm-hmm. So how, how do you go from just a little bit of an advice about how do you actually dig that stuff out in the first place when you've been so conditioned to just fit in with everybody else and to kind of the first steps of like accepting that madness, especially when it comes to the, your voice or your language and kind of how you present yourself? Yeah, you know, I love this question because I think we have different terms for the same concept. So something that I always say is when you are younger or when you're maybe like you've taken your first job in corporate America or your second or your fifth and you're like, (laughs) fuck me, right? You start to hear that little voice of anarchy. I call it the anarchy inside of you, which sounds really creepy and kind of sexual, but (laughs) like the creative urge inside of you is what it really comes down to. And we do, we suppress that, suppress that, suppress that, because when you start to feel like that little sense of anarchy coming up, like, oh, you know what? Fuck that. I don't, I don't really want to go to work today. (laughs) I think that these ideas are wrong. Whatever it is, you still suppress it because you don't think of it as genius yet. You think of it as weird. (laughs) You're like trouble. Yeah. Something's wrong with me. I'm defective. I can't, why can't I just be okay with all the things that everybody else is okay with? Mm. That was kind of the narrative that was going in my mind years and years ago when I was in my early twenties years and years ago. (laughs) We won't do the math. (laughs) Years and years ago in my early 20s, I remember almost being mad at myself that I couldn't just love the things that everybody else seemed to love. Or if they didn't love them, they just simply accepted them. They did not have issue with going to work every day and doing something that was as unimportant as mailing out like these standard issue binders to these clients that are never going to read them ever again, like ever in their life. They were fine with doing that mechanical role. Right. Like, yeah. And I was looking at this going, there's just, there's gotta be something more. Why am I so difficult? (laughs) Yeah. Why am I so difficult? Like, why can't I just be cool? (laughs) Mm. So I think that that, as uncomfortable as it is, I think it's an important part of the process. You have to start realizing that, yeah, there's this little sense of anarchy or madness bubbling inside of you is step one. Step two is the hard part. It's deciding to do something different. And that could be something as simple as changing your routine every day, or it could be something as grand as quitting your job and starting your own business. Whatever it may be, you have to make that decision to do something different. And that's where people get really, really stuck. Um, A lot of what happens, as I'm sure we've all experienced, is the pushback from the people that we love, the people that we don't even know but have an opinion about it somehow. (laughs) Um, The people that we respect and look up to in our lives or do currently, and they have ideas that are maybe different than ours. And they're like, you know what? You should probably uh, be more careful, take your time, wait till you have savings. I mean, they're really... They get so worried for you, don't they? They're so driven by fear of your well-being that it's like... 
risky. Ooh, I don't know. Should you? Which is like a reflection of their own shit, isn't it? Really? It is. I always thought that too. I always think that people do not to, well, not to badger on other people, but people do kind of mask their true intentions with this, this cover of, I'm really just looking out for you. Mm. I really, you know, like you should be more careful and really plan this out better or whatever. But I think that when you choose to do something different, whatever that different thing is, what you are essentially saying to someone else standing in front of you who's still doing that thing is, I think you're wrong. It's an indirect statement that you're making, but they internalize that. If mm-hmm. you are doing something different, you're implying that what they're doing still is wrong. It be so, quite threatening, I suppose, can it? Yeah, I think they have to push back because it's the only way to maintain their own sense of identity and their own sense of, of sanity. Otherwise, there'd be so much cognitive different dissonance going on. Right. So I think that when it comes to that step two of doing something different, it's important Two, ask the people who have done what you want to do. And I know it's hard because you want to ask your best friend, Sarah, and your uncle Tom, and your mom, and your boyfriend, because who else are you Obviously. Clearly, he has to hear it all. (laughs) Even though he so doesn't get it. (laughs) So doesn't get it. Um, And find the people who have done what you want to do because they really are truly the only people qualified to give you advice in that respect. It would be akin to having a heart issue and asking your boyfriend if he thinks that you should have this operation or not. He's not qualified. And I say that with love. He might have good intentions, but he's not really qualified to offer you sound advice on your big next crazy move. Yeah? Yes. 100%. So I I feel like that's kind of what we're here to talk about today is I think you and I are both in the business of really trying to help people in that moment of like, you kind of know this little anarchist is there. You've been listening. Now you're maybe ready to take action on it. And what happens is this huge crisis of confidence, right? Because you're, you're clashing up against all of your like limiting beliefs and everything that happened in your childhood and what your parents told you and the advice from the critics who are like, Ooh, that sounds scary. Maybe you shouldn't do that. And then, you know, there is a level of risk anytime there's any kind of change, but you know, assuming you get good advice or you kind of have an idea of what your next step is, all you really need is to just be bold, right? To be able to actually take the step and to sustain through whatever that change is. And what advice do you have through that fucking scary, scary, dark <laughs> process where there are no guarantees of anything? Yeah, I, you know, our brains are really awful. <laughs> they're so terrible in so many ways because they're constantly just chattering, chattering, chattering away and chipping away at your confidence in many ways. Um, I still, so I've been doing this for, what year are we in? Two thousand. <laughs> More math. <laughs> <laughs> at least 10 years, right? I've been doing this for at least 10 years. I've been working for myself for at least 10 years, running a really unconventional business that essentially its niche is uh, helping women become more disobedient in their lives. It's an attitude that I'm selling, essentially. So in line with that, I think that something you have to get good at is 
compartmentalizing your thoughts about what you're doing and being able to actually just act, which is completely opposite of what most people would advise you to do. Most people want you to think before you act. I would actually advise the opposite in some cases, especially when you're just starting because your brain can just, it comes in too much and too much thinking, overthinking it will kill you. Mm. So being able to say, okay, I'm not going to think about this. I know that I want to do this. So I'm just going to take the steps I need to do to start. Whether it's a good idea or not, I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to march and I'm going to try it. And it's a really good way to kind of get yourself out of it because you always are going to find out. I swear to vodka, once you start taking those actions, it's going to be all good for you. It's good from here on out. There's a lot of fear mongering around well, what if I become homeless and what if I don't have any more money and nobody ever buys anything or whatever? It's not going to happen. It's going to be way better than you ever thought it was going to be. And then your brain is all of a sudden going to catch up and go, oh, wait, maybe I was wrong. And then all of a sudden your brain's going to start supporting you going, yeah, good. That looks good. <laughs> good job. You're making, you made how much doing that? Like, oh my gosh, Amazing. So I think it's a hard thing to do, but I think it's worth considering. How can I just put my thoughts on pause, like snooze them for a while and don't judge myself? Done. Tall order. Tall order, isn't it? And I think what's really interesting, and I went through this because I had 10 plus years as an entrepreneur with really a lot of great successes and then tried something new and invested a lot of money in it, hated it, realized it was totally the wrong fit for me, and then the shame. So I feel like, and so that's kind of where got me to where I am now. And a lot of the work that I do now is really making that separation between this is what I do and this is who I am because I had this whole career in one industry and then overnight I changed my mind basically. Who was I without all of that? And, yeah. and one of the things I say all the time is that my business, you know, your business is not your baby. It's an experiment. And I feel no, like I love that. <laughs> it's so hard to just hold our businesses loosely, isn't it? We fucking cling to the and like suck the life out of and like it sucks the life out of us. And it's like, it's never going to love you back. So like, I love your analogy of like, put this, put the thoughts on snooze and just take actions to test it. It's an experiment. Do some tests, mm-hmm. step out there. But I think we really struggle with that because we're like, I have to have it all figured out. As soon as I say it, I have to do it forever. So because now that's who I am. So if I say I'm going to sell this thing or be this thing, then I have to be doing that thing in then 10 years from now because otherwise I'm a failure, right? So any advice for that, for like how to kind of hold it loosely when you're feeling like, oh, I'm going to tell someone I'm going to be a, 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 a naturopath vet and I'm going to try that and actually a year in, I don't like it. How do I not feel flaky, right? Like, mm-hmm. or that I'm a quitter, or all of these negative connotations we've put on changing our mind. Yes, these are all mental constructs, right? This flakiness, I hear that all the time. I don't want to be a flake. Mm. What if I don't like it? I think even more than fear of failure, people are just scared that they're making a bad decision for themselves, that they maybe won't like it in the end. Mm. And then what? And then what? And then what? Um, I think that when it comes to being labeled a flake or thinking of yourself as a flake, it's useful to reframe that because I would argue 
that the people who are staying stagnant in one career for maybe a decade too long than they were already unhappy are the people who have something to really worry about. It is not you. You have the courage to go out and try something new. And if it doesn't work, you pivot. So on the same line of being an experiment, I do like to think of myself as almost a, an ethnographer where you're going out and you're asking questions in the field of yourself and of other industries and of other things and hobbies, even whatever it is that you're doing, you're not necessarily committing to something for life. Like you don't have to marry your hobby in knitting, but (laughs) I think that this makes you a much more interesting, rich, complex human being who is actively going out there and trying to better herself in such a really fun, creative way. I think this is a plus. I don't know why it gets such a negative label. I think this is a fucking plus. Everybody else who's just sitting there and doing nothing, like those guys are really in trouble. Sorry, guys. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's a really good thing. I think the, the dynamic, it feels like you're being flaky, but what you are is being interesting. You're being someone who cares enough to give a shit, to go figure it out. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. This is only an experiment. I think about everything like that. It's not just what you're doing next, but it's also money. I mean, running experiments with money is so fun. It's a game. Think of it like that. We are having this game of life, and that's what it is. And you don't get upset if you maybe mix a couple of ingredients I don't know, maybe you're like making bread in the kitchen and you mix the wrong ingredients together. You're not going to beat yourself up about that for 10 years. Like maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> but then you recognize that it's just you put the wrong thing in the batter and you need to figure out what is the right thing. That's just common sense, right? But we don't think of ourselves that way. Yeah. No, yeah. We're so serious about this. And all these conversations that I'm sure we both have with entrepreneurs all the time about this intense, intense fear. And I think like we were talking a bit earlier about this idea about how much we like hanging out with our own ideas, right? Cause they're like such good buddies. <laughs> and I know for me as someone who is a creative person who brings creative things to the world, when the ideas are in my head or I'm alone with them, they're still perfect and they can't be judged or criticized. And it's so hard to then take them into a space where other people can have an opinion or whether they're not as shiny as I thought they were, or um, they don't make as much money as I had hoped or whatever. There's all this space for disappointment. And I feel like one of the things that I'm saying all the time is that you're only doing it right if you're uncomfortable. Right. And I know you talk about that a lot. And this idea of like um, this idea of causing trouble and, and being someone who can cause trouble because you back yourself to be able to get yourself out of it. So I'd love to kind of, I love your analogy about this idea of that this is how life is lived and this is what being alive is all about. And it's the same idea of not, not working towards comfort, but working towards discomfort actually, because that's where all the good shit is actually happening. Do you have any, like any ways that you step into that in your own life or in projects that scare you when you kind of want to be safe and comfortable and you have to push yourself even in things that are, you know, not business related. Yeah. You know, it's hard. I think that there's a certain part of my personality that is less comfortable with 
comfortable, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So when mm-hmm. things start to feel a little too routine or a little too predictable for me, it bothers me. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like I'm not growing as a person. So in contrast to that, when I'm trying something new, whatever it is, even if it's a stupid idea, I have lots of those. Stupid ideas, whatever. I just want to see how it goes. I tend to look at it as something that I'm doing that is always positive. I never see this as a negative. So therefore, I don't really think that other people see it as a negative. You know what I'm saying? Like this yeah. is kind of the dialogue. Like the way you reframe it. Yeah. I don't really imagine other people looking at me trying something new as negative. I think that if anything, they're looking at me trying something new and, and really wishing that they could too. And so that's probably why I've stepped into a little bit more of a coaching role mm. with my writing over the years because I saw so many people longing to do things, longing, but, but not being able to take the next step. And no, I, I would really question whether or not the people you're worried about are really thinking ill of you mm. or if they're thinking that you're fucking awesome and they really are rooting you on secretly inside and maybe they're if their opinion matters right because I think we spend so much time obsessing over being liked being accepted and like it sounds like you've been able to develop over the years I mean I think anyone looking at you from sort of a distance would be like Ash is so confident she's got so much grit and moxie like I'm were you just born that way is that just a natural strength that you have? Have you had to curate and cultivate that? Um, a little both, maybe? It's a question. I, I almost asked a similar question in the book that I am writing, which is, uh, what is the difference between someone who becomes a victim of the circumstances and someone who supersedes them? Mm-hmm. I think there are parallels here because I don't think it's all natural. I really don't. I think that we are always faced with challenges and I think that how we respond to them is going to ultimately shape us. And so similarly here, when you're trying to do something brave, how you respond to the challenge is going to make a world of a difference. So these other people, um, you might be worried about them. Yes. And there are some times when you legitimately need to be concerned about maybe your employer's opinion. Maybe you can't run around on the internet, you know, dropping all the F-bombs and being this person. You wish you could be yet because it's not professional. Mm-hmm. So oh, I hate that word so much. That is like one of my biggest enemies, the word professional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that really trips a lot of people up. They're worried that if they don't like something or if they've taken it too far, they can't retract that. Because now it's out there. Mm. To which I would say, the line that needs to be walked with professional versus being yourself is simply, when you're going to put yourself out there, be yourself. But when you do it, do it by putting out your best ideas and the ones you're most proud of. So however you, however you say that or express those ideas, it's fine. I swear probably, what did I, I probably dropped like F-bombs maybe eight times already. <laughs> this thing. But 
when you are putting your, your best ideas out there and you've really thought through them carefully and you're presenting them in a way that makes other people think, an F-bomb is only going to enhance your message. It's not going to detract from it because what you're saying is useful and intelligent and smart. If, on the other hand, you're just talking about that fucking neighbor downstairs, of course, you know, now you, you've entered into ignorant territory. So And gimmicky, maybe. Yes. And so that depends on who you are, what kind of language you want to use, and maybe you are in an industry where you wouldn't want to take that risk. But that's not to say you can't be yourself and you can't have fun with an industry and with your own ideas and express them in a way that's not – no, <laughs> like <Professional>. legalese, <laughs> like a legal document. That's the word. So bad. Oh God, so bad. Yeah, I think, so that kind of leads me to a next question, which I think is a really important thing to just kind of look at briefly is that it's so easy for us to look at someone that we respect and admire and say like, oh, well, Ash is such a great writer. I don't write like Ash. So I will never be able to put my ideas out into the world in the same way. And maybe you're not a copywriter and maybe that's not your skill. Fine. Absolutely. That's why we hire copywriters to help us. <laughs> um, but in terms of like, let's think of it of kind of your own voice, let's say. So how you show up maybe on your website and your Instagram and thinking specifically at the moment about entrepreneurs or people who are endeavoring to become them. Um, how do you know whether what you're doing is, as you say, sort of like intelligent and interesting or just rambly and ranty and like gimmicky. Cause I see a lot of people kind of, you know, I swear a lot in my brand, but I don't, I don't do it as a gimmick. I do it when I'm quite passionate about something yes. and it just comes out cause that's just who I am. I swear in real life. I swear on stage when I speak, like it's who I am, but I don't do it as a gimmick. Like I don't do it as a Right. How do you yeah. know the difference? <laughs> yes. You know, originally my literary agency had, had made the suggestion to me that maybe we didn't need to use fuck in the title or in the book so much because I didn't need to lean on that word. Mm. And my response was, I mean, I am that word. Like, <laughs> like this is what we're purchasing here. Like, th this is part of my brand. Um, I, it's a great question. And if it's helpful to anyone, I have a rule of thumb that helps me to at least get some kind of gauge on whether or not I think an idea is worth putting out there. Because of course, it's not like you just know. Mm -mm. You don't know if what you're saying half the time makes any sense. You have to really sit with it and, and keep going through it. But my rule of thumb for that is to only speak about things that have happened in the past that I have processed and that I have now been able to take a teachable out of that I can use to tell you about. So it's now useful for you because you never want something just to be about you. If you're writing on the internet, it really is about the person who's reading. Sure, so sure. what does this matter for them? And the only way you can get that perspective is by thinking through things that have already happened. I rarely ever talk about things that are happening now because I don't have the necessary perspective. And that's not really all that useful unless I am in something maybe minor and I'm able to draw inspiration out of it or maybe if I'm just doing something on social media for fun. But when it comes time to commit something to the page, you have to have a little bit of distance. And then you're able to speak more intelligent, intelligently about something, whether you use uh, the F word or not, <laughs> and, and really make that content meaningful. Because I think there's a lot of people out there who think they just have to like write content 
for the sake of writing content because everyone's telling us we need to write content. content. Yep. And content is great, but make it matter. Make it matter for the person reading and make it matter for you. Make it something you're proud to be representing. And then however you express yourself within, it's all good. It's fine. Yeah, I love that. I think one of the things, I can't remember where I heard this for the first time, but it would have been early on in my probably either graphic design or marketing days where someone was like, when you're working on something that's, you know, customer facing, you always, 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 the first question you have to ask is what's in it for them, right? So like, we're so quick to talk about ourselves, our feelings, our desires, whatever. And, you know, that video that you're going to put on the homepage of your website, if it's all about you talking about you, who the hell cares? Like, what, what is in it for me to spend three minutes watching this video? I don't, you know, I don't care about you yet because I don't know. I've got no skin in the game, right? So yeah. I love that message about kind of bringing it back to, to what's in it for the person reading and, and, and also having that perspective. Gosh, it's so important, especially if you're trying to, as you say, like draw something useful and intelligent out of it. Those are great, great pieces of advice. I think with this idea of, you know, your voice, right? Because now we're kind of venturing into this idea of being authentic because obviously some people swear and some people don't swear. So if you're not someone who swears in real life, don't swear in your blogs. <laughs> like it's, 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 the point is not to be or not be sweary. The point is to be you um, so that when people meet you in person, the experience they have of you in person is the exact same as it is of reading those 20 blogs that they've read and they feel like they know you. So I think authenticity is something that I'm sure you talk about a lot. <laughs> um, it's something I think a lot of people would look up to you and respect you for is because they feel like, you know, you are very authentic. And my experience of you is exactly like it is on the page you know, to you live. So it's a good endorsement of this authenticity. Obviously a word that gets thrown around a lot, you know, this word authentic. But I think the thing about this on authenticity piece that I think I've run into over and over again, helping people build brands is finding it is one thing that's so hard, right? Like finding this authentic voice. And then we come back into this again, this idea of using it and putting it out there is so scary because when it is you, when it's not this professional, I want to be respected and known to be someone who's good with grammar and never spells anything wrong. And you know, when you can shift out of that robotic professionalism into something that is you, it's so terrifying because it's so raw and vulnerable. And that I see people like really resisting for a long time, even when they've figured out this kind of is my voice and this kind of is what I want to say. And this, you know, I want to talk about anxiety or I want to talk about my miscarriage or I want to talk about dogs or whatever it is, but it still feels too scary. How do you get past that? Like, resistance. I have a theory. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I have a theory about why this fucks all of us up at some point <laughs> or another. I do have a theory about this and it might not be a popular theory, but I think it's worth considering. So much of the conversation is always around this. Okay. So I want to talk about anxiety. Great example. Um, but I'm really scared about that. There's this scary piece. People are scared about talking about anxiety and being themselves and whatever that means. How do I do this all? <clears throat> but I think that's really just the surface layer. I think that the deeper root issue of being scared to be seen and to stand up mm -hmm. and have, I mean, like be able to talk about anxiety is not so much that you're scared 
to write about it. I think that oftentimes we've been living these lives for so long where we've been told what to think about things, especially if you've been in a job for such a long time where you've been told from everybody higher up how to act and what to do. And I think that most of us are lacking some important self-reflection and also an opinion. I think the reason why we're scared to put ourselves out there is because we haven't thought about it long enough to come up with really interesting, valid, or, or at least useful opinions to contribute. I think that's where the fear comes from because it's not really like, am I writing this paragraph the right way? Does this sound like me? I think it's a fear of not having something good enough to say. Mm-hmm. So that is, it's like a, it's a whole other level and that's really scary and hard. But I would encourage you to spend some time before you even think about writing anything down, spend some serious time thinking about what you actually think. This is so much harder to do, but if you sit and if you think about it for a second, you probably have never sat down. It sounds so simple, but I'm like, oh yeah. (laughs) Like when have you given yourself time to really just sit down for an hour or two and think about what you really think? Like what do you mean like a creative way, not in a reactive way, not in like someone's written something shitty on Facebook and I'm going to react because now I know what I think because I'm reacting to them. But this like, but actually in a vacuum, what do I think? That's so interesting. What do you, what do you really think about things? We oftentimes are just parroting other ideas or, you know, just for the sake of, again, like putting content out there. Like, okay, well, this is what people say. So I'm going to say this too. That is counterproductive to this mission. (laughs) Really sit down and think about what you think about your industry, about your topic, about whatever it is that you're passionate about. And then I would say, write it down. And not for public consumption. I mean, write it down in a notebook because the best way for me to have an argument with myself, and maybe by argument I really just mean dialogue, <laughs> to, to write something down on paper and then look at it and say, do I agree with what I just wrote? Which is crazy because normally you'd think if you wrote it, you think it. You don't. Sometimes you write things that you don't actually agree with and you're like, wait a minute, I need to really think about that a little bit more. This sounds very surface level. So do I want to commit to that? Is that genuinely a reflection of me? And yeah. Yeah. And like, okay, maybe I agree with part of that idea, but what is really bothering me about the other part of it and why? And just, you have to sit down and really think about it. This is the hardest part about creating content, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think that there's a, a notion that content writers are kind of a dime a dozen thing these days. You're taking your SEO keywords and then just filling in the blanks. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think if, if a content writer is doing this right, they're having these conversations with themselves and with their clients if they have clients in that vein. But that's the best way for me to understand what I think is to write it down and have a dialogue with myself. And maybe not really. I'm not like writing down like, well, Ash, what do you think? No. Will <laughs> <laughs> you please? Cause, and then share it with all of us. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? I just, I'm looking sentence by sentence and saying, is that a legitimate representation of my brain? And it's a great way to start. Really, I think that's where your voice is 
formed in your opinions. And that's why so many people struggle with voice because they don't have the opinion piece yet. They just don't. And that's okay. You will, but you have to spend some time thinking about what your opinion actually is. Does that make sense? Yes, so much. And that leads into like, I know one of your favorite topics is this idea of imposter syndrome. And so many of us just don't feel, you know, I, I think of it as well on the side of this idea of like shrinking and not wanting to take up space that we're afraid of being wrong. We're afraid of being criticized and we're afraid of having the wrong opinion and someone calling us out on it. And I think that's, you know, all of those things have really interesting <laughs> threads that tie them together. But this idea of, you know, one of the key ideas with, let's say, creating content is this idea of being a thought leader. So rather than just spitting out words for the sake of a 1200 word blog article, right, or for getting those SEO keywords in, it's this idea about, and this is so critical for the branding stuff that I talk about and do as well, is this idea of, as you say, having a fucking opinion and then being able to stand behind that opinion because you've gone through the, the ash model of looking at it and saying, <laughs> is this what I think? Is this actually what I think? Cause I'm going to, I might have to defend this. Right. Um, but, but that is what, you know, anytime you're writing content or putting stuff on your or homepage, or I talk a lot about having a brand statement, which has an, I believe statement in it, which is fundamentally about your main opinion that has anything to do with your business, right? The key opinion that drives everything that you do, mm -hmm. which answers that question, <laughs> why should we give a shit, right? Why did, why, what's in it for me? So um, good. Yeah. I think it's that, that's where that fundamental shift happens, isn't it? Between writing for the sake of writing and being a thought leader, someone who, who has opinions and has beliefs and is out there in the world trying to do something about it versus someone who's just talking. and that that is why I think that word professional is so dangerous is because if you're being professional, you're just talking, right? You're just trying to sound smart. And yeah. you can you can use very simple language to sound very intelligent without sounding professional. Or without having any meat behind it. I mean there's no meat on those bones. They're just bones. <laughs> so many <laughs> and they're the same goddamn bones that everybody else is using. Like, yes, everyone's got the same bones. That's kind of a really good analogy in a weird way. Like we do all have a femur, but what's the meat on your bones? <laughs> yeah, it's a really good point. I love that. So I think that kind of leads into for me kind of this idea of this imposter syndrome, which, which holds so many of us back. And this idea, uh, you know, which is this key critical crux point of, of bravery and confidence that we're talking about, which I believe is a skill. It's not, I don't believe it's something you're born with. I believe it's something that you practice and build just like any other muscle. Um, Agreed. Yeah, I mean, anyone can have it at any point or have more of it. You just have to practice it. But, but with all that fear and this imposter syndrome and this idea of if I have an opinion, if I come down on one side of something, there's room for criticism. And I think it's important that we maybe have a little bit of a conversation about that, about critique and about being called out for, for having a different opinion, which doesn't make you wrong. It just means that someone else has a different opinion than you. So like, I think I expect that you're a person who's navigated this a lot and you're completely fine with having different opinions than people and you're comfortable in that. But I think a lot of people feel like if anyone disagrees with them, they've done something wrong or it's, or there, there, there's some sort of fault or there's some sort of, um, um, there, there's, there's fear of being wrong. Right. right. 
Right. So much. So how do you deal with that criticism when someone comes out and is like, uh, you're fucking wrong actually. And, (laughs) or, you know, you are trying to be an expert in something and someone disagrees with you. How do you actually process that in when you get that email or when you get that Instagram message? How do you deal with that? I mean, I have a couple of different ideas. First, I, I mean, like the tried and true idea I always go back to with that is the color pink. I happen to hate the color pink. Doesn't mean that pink is wrong. Doesn't mean that pink should not exist. It doesn't mean that pink has no business being in this world. There's lots of people who love pink. I am not one of them. And I think pink needs that. It needs two sides of the coin in order to thrive. If no one gave a shit about pink either way, pink would not sell. The only reason pink sells is because there are girls out there who love pink, who love pink shoes and pink purses and pink lipstick and stuff. And that's what they go for and they love it. And that's why pink is popular and successful with them. There's a difference between being popular and successful with the whole wide world and being popular and successful with the people who actually matter. So that's comforting to know. Think about pink. You want to be pink. Um, and it's fine if you come up with an opinion that other people don't agree with. That said, that's easier just for me to just say, but to internalize that is a completely different thing. Um, A point that could be helpful is, I think there's a difference between being a thought leader and being right. So the goal here with your content, with your business, with your voice, with, in whatever capacity you are using it, is to be a thought leader. Like that is your goal. That doesn't mean your goal is to be right. It's not. It's, they're not the same thing. Ash, you're blowing our mind. We always have to be right about everything all the time. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, but that's not what people respect, believe it or not. People respect people who are willing to go out on a limb and really fight for something that they believe in. If they end up being wrong in the end, it's still okay because they respected themselves enough to give that idea some airtime. But they're also humble enough to recognize when, you know what, here are the tweaks that needed to be made. And I'm going to make those tweaks and we're going to keep working at this. People who are wrong, are not bad. People who are wrong are the ones who have enough courage to go out and even try to be. Like, that is awesome. But think about being a thought leader. Like you want to be a leader, you don't want to be a right person. Like <laughs> sometimes you're going to be right, sometimes you're going to be wrong. They're just two very different things. Um, and worst case scenario, I always think about it like this as well. If you went into a fancy French restaurant and you've had everything on the menu except for the duck nards. <laughs> There's like nice, delicious entree full of <laughs> duck nards. And you're like, I am going to try those duck nards. Um, and you get them and turns out you really don't like the duck nards. <laughs> like, Who would have guessed? <laughs> Yeah, so you don't beat yourself up about being wrong about the duck nards. You go to a different restaurant. Like, you just, you, you, you move on. You try something else and you, you go on. 
even if you're wrong about something, it's useful information. It's, and that's it's such a great helpful. example as well, because you can get so much, you could get so much, you know, pride from the fact that you're willing to try, even though you weren't sure what the outcome would be, right? Because there's so much grace and beauty in that, like, I wrote this whole series of, called the I, the I Am Possible Project about this idea of like, I'm a person who doesn't like trying things if I'm not going to be perfect at it right away because I don't like embarrassment or awkwardness or being wrong or any of those things I find really difficult. And I think when you can make that flip into actually the beauty of this is trying things you might totally suck at or trying duck nards, which you might totally hate and paying a lot for them, you know, and being like, I just paid 30 bucks for those duck nards. I don't even want. You're not going to keep eating them though. You're, you're not going to keep eating them because you paid for them, you know, like, but we do that crazy illogical stuff, don't we? Because we've got these constructs about what we're supposed to do and about what, and we have all this guilt and shame and fear and, and whatever else about what people think about us and what we think about ourselves. And I think, that's such a nice analogy of like, yeah, you just go to a different restaurant or this idea that you can have an opinion and you couldn't change it. Right. It's not, that's such a nice way to think about being a thought leader versus being right. And I think the word expert is really tricky for people because yes. it's like where those two things come together, mm -hmm. right. Where we feel like to be an expert, you have to be a thought leader and you have to be right. And you have to be like irrefutably right right? Like you have to be the most expert expert that has ever existed on the topic in order to consider that you might have something of value to share. And no, that's really dangerous. Think about that friend that we've all had before who's right all the time. We hate that person. <laughs> Nobody loves that person because we're all human, right? Yeah. I think respect is generated far more by people who are brave enough to be wrong and accept that that is wrong and then figure out, keep working to keep figuring it out. That's what we want in our leaders. Someone who's willing to roll the dice and keep going and keep figuring it out on the fly on behalf of their goals, on behalf of us, whatever it is. There's um, something about being wrong in public though that is so scary, right? So like we're talking about being a thought leader and being willing to be wrong. Most of us who stay small or who don't do the impossible thing or whatever, we're okay with being wrong as long as nobody sees it, right? We're okay with trying ice skating as long as we're the only one in the rink, you know? But when you're doing it in public, when you're doing, taking your advice or taking my advice about getting out there and sharing your thoughts, sharing your opinions and, and, and doing that on, in a public way, that is just, that, that is impossible for a lot of us. You know, it, it's not something you just wake up and go, today, I'm going to go be naked in public and let everybody point at me. Like, this is, this is going to be fun, you know? So I think that it's such a beautiful skill to curate. And I love what you said about reframing it. And I think that idea of like, this is the goal. The goal is to be wrong in public, right? Mm -hmm. And to do it a hundred times. Like I think Amy Porterfield recently had a podcast. It was something about I, my goal is to fail a hundred times this year or something like that, which I really respected. Um, but to actually make that the goal rather than worst case scenario is a right. really interesting reframe, right? Right. Yeah. I, I do think that when you are doing something in public that's scary, like for example, it's, it can be as basic as going to the gym for the first time in 10 years. 
that's kind of scary. It's anxiety producing because you're like, I'm not gonna know how to use machines. People are gonna think I'm dumb. People are gonna think like, yeah, good thing you got your fat ass in the gym. Or, I mean, like whoever, whatever thoughts are going through their head that you're already thinking, they're thinking. Yeah. You're never gonna get to the gym if you keep thinking those things. Which is why I go back to the idea of like, just snooze those thoughts and just put on your clothes and walk over there and walk in and open your eyes and say to the guy, hi, I'd like a membership. <laughs> <laughs> like, We're doing you this thing. Have to, <laughs> you have to do that sometimes. But also recognizing this idea that whenever I personally have to do something where I'm risking a large deal of embarrassment, I like to think, again, that I will be respected more by the people in the room for showing up and trying than I would for never coming out in the first place. Mm. I think that's really true and really important. And the second piece of that that I would say to anyone who's worried about the expert title, because that is where this problem comes in. You don't want to look like an amateur and you can't, you can't afford it because you're supposed to be the person in charge. So what do you do then? And I think the answer is as simple as really just shifting your language and your, almost your posture towards the advice that you're giving and what you're advising. Because most of this is going to be like an, an advisory thing, right? Most of us are doing businesses. If, if this is the case where you're an expert, you're giving someone advice. Instead of saying with all certainty, like we're almost taught to do, uh, here's what you should do. I am the expert. Listen to me. <laughs> Instead of taking that approach, why don't you say, so in my experience, here's what's worked for me and here's what hasn't. Moving forward, why don't we try this? Here's what I think could be useful for you. Here's what might be helpful. You've, used, you've heard me use those words a couple of times in this interview. Like I'm not trying to, to be right. I'm trying to contribute. Mm. So think about that when you are an expert. You also don't have to be right, but you are contributing to someone's growth in whatever way that is. Mm. So by contributing, you're taking your experiences and you are trying to apply them to somebody else's situation and say, okay, take like, it, take it. Yeah. like, yeah, like here's the disclaimer, you know, I haven't tested this uh, among 500,000 people to be like, to have the data points. Exactly. <laughs> I tell you, I've done this a lot. I've done it with at least 25 people. Here's been their experiences. Here are mine. Here's why I think this could work for you. What do you think about this? Do you want to try this Avenue or how about this other one? We have a couple of different options we can take. Happy to guide you. Mm. That is what you are. You're a guide. You're not like, here's what you must do. It's a different, it's just a different approach. It and is. I think, especially with imposter syndrome. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, I could talk to you about this for hours and hours and hours, but I feel like we probably have to like people go. <laughs> um, so I just, as a kind of a parting thought, I think from a very practical standpoint of when you are putting yourself out there in public to have opinions, when you have opinions in general, especially as a woman, when you're out there, um, learning from Ash about how to be disobedient, you are going to get critics and you are going to get nasties. You know, you're going to get trolls on your Facebook. You might get emails you don't like. Do you have any just quick sort of advice about how to handle? I'm sure there's some really nice 
ash branded language about how to actually, when you need to respond to that in some way, as opposed to just running away and hiding and dying because it's the worst thing that's ever happened that someone said your worst fear out loud, right? How do you actually, what is a good strategy to deal with that when it, if it does actually happen? And it will, it will happen all the time. Even to this day, I still have people who are like, no, oh, well, <laughs> you got a book deal. That's weird because your ideas are just like kind of common sense. I had someone say that to me once. I was like, <laughs> oh, thank you. So my approach to this, to all the dream zappers is actually counterintuitive. We want to push them away and be like, oh, I don't want to hear that. And I hate you for saying it. And now I want to go and cry and die. I'm like, ah because maybe they're right. That's what you think. Yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What I like to do for anyone, even if they're deliberately being malicious, I love to just simply ask them for their help. This really puts people like, it just like flips the script. They don't even know what to do with that because they're trying to probably like neg you down a a notch, you know? And you're like, you know what? You're right. You make a valid point what would you suggest that I do? Like, let's talk about this. I would love to hear your, I need your help. You're right. Even if it's your mom, you're like, you know what, mom? Yes, you're right. I would love your help. What do you think I should do? And you don't have to take their advice, but sometimes it just helps to neutralize that conversation. And then it validates their fucked up world in some way. (laughs) They stop it. You know, They, they stop it. And then they're like, oh, wow, I have to now give this person advice. Because I could say to them, like, listen, yes, I appreciate that, but this is the reality. This is what's happening. So I really actually want your help. Can you be on Team Ash to help me figure this out? Because it's going to happen no matter what. I need your genius, so help me with it. And then they're like, oh, I I mean, I don't really know. I didn't really have an actual idea. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) Or maybe they have a useful idea. Either way, you're kind of winning there because it just diffuses that whole thing. Like, yes, like just be humble enough to be like, oh my gosh, you know what? Yes. Would you help me with that? I would love to know more. It's so confronting, isn't it? Love that. I mean, it's otherwise you're like, yeah, like, fuck you, buddy. Like, <laughs> what else can you say or do? And then right? it just escalates, doesn't it? Because that's exactly what they want. Right. So it's kind of nice as I'm rebuttoning my shirt here. God, I, ha- I-, I can't tell what is on this camera. <laughs> but I mean, I can tell here we're all friends it's we were talking about being naked anyway so like we'll just take that literal it's fine it's fine I should have had a cuter bra on at least (laughs) well this conversation we are going to continue because we are going to be seeing you in London at Magic Maker Live we are we are so excited to have you this conference is going to be amazing and we're going to carry on this conversation about about bravery about being able to have opinions in public and some really practical actionable stuff about how to actually do that right because it's all well and good to say just do it but there are some things some steps some advice and tools that we can use to actually make that easier less painful more effective um and you're going to be sharing all that goodness october 15th and 16th in london like wherever you are in the world, you must fly in for this. And not, not because I'm speaking there, because these ladies are so amazing. They put together the most magnificent event ever. And I'm mean, like, just go for, to be in that room, the room itself. The room's going to be crazy, right? Oh my gosh, I can't wait. So and much we'll all just like drive around in like the black cabs and we'll sip our tea and then have it's our- So drink. British. 
<laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. So in case someone has been living under a rock for the last 10 years and doesn't know where to find you, where um, online can people learn more from you, get more of this goodness? She's so flattering. <laughs> <laughs> the Middle Finger Project, if you Google that, it will come up. It will be there. The Middle Finger Project, it's actually .org, but you could type in the .com either way it gets you to me and I think that's just the best way to go about it I won't confuse you with all the other URLs tell us what you can tell us about this forthcoming book of yours oh it's also called the middle finger project hey, hey! which wasn't even my call it's being published by Penguin Random House which is my dream publisher and they were like, you would have to pay us money not to publish this under this title of The Middle Finger Project. <laughs> so good. Love so that. that. Which is how you know you have the right publisher, right? <laughs> yes. That was really, really encouraging and cool. And then what was interesting is they get to pick the tagline. I don't. Ooh. So right now, as I'm spitballing it, I think the tagline is um, trash your imposter syndrome and live the unfuckwithable life you deserve. That might not be exactly it, but it's along those lines. They're still finalizing those things. So it really does deal with a lot of imposter syndrome. It talks a little bit more about some of the total crazy stuff that I went through on this journey to go from corporate America to finding my own voice and starting this business and now working with women all over the globe who are very scared to do stuff, but who I really want to do stuff. Um, and the book is, it's going to be fun. It's going to be probably very sweary, but also hopefully very insightful. I'm trying very hard to make it so. <laughs> well, we cannot wait for that. We will got to go to the website, get on the newsletter, that kind of thing to get all the updates about the book and London and when you'll be joining us there and the dates for that. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us and for being here and for helping us feel brave and confident and, um, any final thoughts? Anything else you want to uh, add? No, there? I mean, like, besides the fact that you and I are BFF now, like, <laughs> like, you guys have to come to London. You're going to see this hugging out action. Like, we're all going to be a little disgusting. A big old family. You're going to love it. We're going to take so many photos. It's going to be so oh, annoying. Yeah, it's going to be so <laughs> It's going to be great. I can't wait. Everybody show up. That is my final thought. Come to London. Come do something fun, different. Spend the money in yourself. I love spending money on myself. It's good. The best return on investment I ever get is in investing in ideas. Yes. And we're yeah. going to be able to do it together, which is awesome because that's way easier than trying to do it on our own, isn't it? Totally. It'll be wonderful to be in person with all of you. Thank you so much, Nick. <laughs> I see you in London. And I'm whoop, whoop. Thanks, Ash. Yay. Bye bye. <laughs>